Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I am your host. We are your hosts. Let's go with it. Let's do it. Let's do Mm -hmm. it. Welcome to the Emily Jane Fox and Nick Bilton show starring Emily Jane Fox and Nick Bilton. So catchy. There's also a puppy here, a nine-week-old puppy, which we we could spend the whole show talking about that. There is so much for us to go over this week. We, I had a, I was going to do a show, um, I was going to go to UCLA and interview someone about the coronavirus. Like I had all these things and I was like, there's just too much news. Who else do I go to but Emily Jane Fox for this? I'm so grateful for that. But I want to know about the coronavirus. Well, next week. Okay. So tune in. But um, the coronavirus is a little too scary to talk about this week because we've got New Hampshire, we've got uh, Hope Hicks, we've got Little Mike. Big fan of his meme campaign that he did this week. Love it. Loved it. Uh, we've got another um, Michael. Another <laughs> Michael Avenatti. You've been covering the trial for him. We've got um, there's so much to talk about. Let's start with Hope. So Hope Hicks left the White House two years ago in the midst of the most, the craziest, probably the craziest period of time that they had um, internally, not externally. Uh, and now she's going back. What the hell's going on? It's it's fascinating to me. A year ago, we had our Hollywood issue come out for Vanity Fair, and I did a story in the Hollywood issue about Hope Hicks taking Hollywood. She had left the White House in the thick of the Mueller investigation in which she was interviewed at length. She was starting this brand new life, moving across the country, going into sort of a hybrid of politics and entertainment. She was the head of communications for the new Fox with Lachlan Murdoch, and... What was so interesting to me at the time was everyone who had worked with her or was in the process of working with her or had met her out in Hollywood said, she seems really competent. She seems really nice. I don't know that this is going to work out here in Hollywood. I it heard, did not work out here I heard in Hollywood. This, so I, had, I knew some people that worked at Fox and a couple of them left and a couple of them stuck around. And that was the same sentiment I heard. They, they said, you know, she felt like, they felt like she she seemed lovely. Um, I don't know if that was an act or or what. Um, uh, uh, she did seem somewhat competent, and um, she clearly is. I mean, she's been able to do what she's done at the age of thirty one, and um, and I think that. But at the same time, there was always this feeling of like uh, the the red hat person in the place that doesn't like red hats. Even even at Fox, like a lot of the people I knew that worked there were not. They were there because they liked the programming, not because they, you know, liked Fox News. And um, uh, so, but why go back to Jared? Why not go back to Donald or? Well, I think, I think going back to Jared is going back to Donald. I Mm. think that her new role is a role that doesn't exist much like Jared's role did not exist. I think it's like counselor to the president and Jared's advisor to the president. I don't think that any of these roles actually exist. They're just kind of a choose your own adventure. What it seems like to me is they're trying to get the band back together again as the election gets closer and closer. And Hope was a gigantic part of the election. I do not think that she wants to be back in that traditional comms role for a couple of reasons. My guess is you don't want to ruffle the current communications direction uh, director's feathers, Stephanie Grisham. The other thing is 
why not have her have a more amorphous role? It gives her a little bit more cover. She doesn't have to deal with reporters who are going to be beating down her door all the time. And let her just be there as sort of the security blanket that she served as for four years on the campaign and in the White House. I think that that is the role that has been missing from the West Wing. He hasn't had a security blanket in a long time. Now he has Jared. He has Ivanka. But Hope is sort of different and I think for someone who is deeply superstitious as he is, having his little lucky charm back may be appealing. <laughs> little lucky charm. Uh, it's incredible how superstitious he is. Who's, I was I'm talking, very superstitious. Are you? Extremely. Really? Do you like knock on wood three times? And like, I knock on wood like crazy. If I see an, an, a ladder, I will automatically cross the street. I like walking under ladders. That seems like you know, seems it a little, served you well. A little, yeah. <laughs> if an umbrella opens somewhere... Game over. I w- make a wish at eleven eleven every day. Who was it? it? Was it was Stormy Daniels that said that she'd asked Trump why he his hair was the way he it was, and he said, "What was it?" That he said it that he believed that he had a dream once that if he cut it, he would lose his powers, and therefore that's why he's let it grow out well, the he's way. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, the one question I have about Hope is it's more of like a like if you were writing a screenplay in Hollywood, like. The the you you kind of go through this process of like who's the, what's the background of the character like where did they grow up and what makes them tick and the thing I don't understand like I've, you and I have both known a lot of people who have worked in the in different administrations in the White House and so on and there was this kind of dichotomy people are they love it but they hate it they love that the, the one guy said to me at one point um, who was uh, I think was in the Bush administration um, that you you when you when you walk through that gate and you swipe your card and you you feel like you're it doesn't matter what's going on wh- whether you believe in the thing that you're fighting for in that moment or the or or you this shit being hurled at the building or whatever like you feel like you're part of something huge and important and historic and so on and so forth and at the same time it it destroys your life it sucks you away from your family and your relationships and this that and the other and it's a it's a, this 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 push and pull that people get stuck with for someone like hope like I remember hearing and reading, and and I'd love to hear you shed more light on this. Like that, it was it, she couldn't have a relationship, she couldn't do all these things, and that was part of the reason why she left. But why go back? So I think that here's what it was like for her then. Here's what it's been like for her since then, and I think it explains why she's going back. So what it was like when she was there was uh, when I was reporting that story last year. She would wake up at four something in the morning try and work out, try and go to the gym. She'd have two phones with her on the treadmill. She couldn't even run outside because she couldn't be away from her phone. Her phones would start blaring. She would have to stop the treadmill 15 times. Uh, She would race to get ready. She would have a meeting at the White House at 7.30. She'd be on the phone with the president as she was going through security at the metal detectors, asking the Secret Service, can I go through the metal detector with my phone? I'm on the phone with the president. It was nonstop constant. And then on top of it, I mean, I think that it's probably like that working for any administration, though her close relationship, personal relationship with the president probably made it harder. But you also have the the vitriol about anyone working in the white in this current White House. So uh, there was no one who really wanted to be her friend. She didn't. So, okay. People aren't flocking to being someone's friend who's a front facing person in this administration. So it's sort of um, her professional life was all consuming, both because she had a maniacal boss and because no one else outside of the West Wing wanted to be her friend. And so getting away and coming to Hollywood, literally tr- taking herself out of that situation and moving, you know, tens and tens of thousands of miles away, um, you just, you want a fresh start. And I think she wanted a fresh start here. And what happens when you get a fresh start, particularly after a gigantic job where your your job is so defining in your life is you start to miss it Mm. Uh, when your phone is ringing 50,000 times a day and it's the most important people in the world and then your phone is not ringing and you start to work for a company that it's a major company it's a big job but it wasn't quite up and running yet when she started and so I don't think it was constant I think she was working for one principal I think she was very close with, with Lachlan Murdoch but I don't think it was not nearly the it was not nearly the pace of the White House, and she was really close with Ivanka Trump. She was really close to Jared Kushner. She was really close to Hogan Gidley, who's a communications staffer. 
there are a lot of people in the administration who accepted her for who she was, and I don't think she found that in Hollywood. I think she missed being at the center of the universe. And so if you don't feel fulfilled, even though life is easier, even though you have free time, if you haven't found a way to fill that free time, and I don't think she did in Los Angeles, then maybe there is a draw to go back. And it's, for me, when I think about that, uh, I think that about times in my life where work was all-consuming and crazy and then it stops, you have a, a, a choice to make. Do I want to continue with the crazy? Do I want to seek out that chaos in my life again? Or do I want to try and find a, a new normal? For me, I wanted to find a new normal and I was happy and content in that. But I had to find things that filled me up in a different way. I don't think she must not have found the, the things that filled her up in a different way. And so she chose to create the chaos and, and seek that upheaval again. Which is essentially a, a summation of Donald Trump's entire life. Well, he's just, he's a complete chaos maker for himself. And to be honest, to work for Donald Trump, you sort of have to be like Donald Trump. And yeah. she may not hold his ideologies, though I don't really think he holds his ideologies. But I think that they have a similarity in the need to be at the center of things. He wants to be forward-facing at the center of things. I think she wants to be back of the house at the center of things. And for whatever reason, in her life, in her heart, in her brain, she's keen to create chaos. And that's what we see happening here. Well, it will be uh, fascinating to see her um, back in the in the. It, it is interesting about what you said about bringing the band back together. I, I, I there was the piece in the Atlantic this week that I read about the reporter who signed up for a complete new Facebook account, followed uh, the Donald Trump campaign, and then kind of let's see what happens. And um, and it the the Trump administration's political prowess in digital media has been. They're just they're fucking experts you know like i've had people on the show who worked at companies at facebook and twitter who said like their campaign was without question far and beyond hillary's and i think that that it's going to be the same in 2020 you know um and uh and i think that there is there is a strategy you know i think that one thing that i've come to the realization about with the with not with trump per se but the people around him is that we think that they're idiots because they make a lot of dumb mistakes, but I think that they are actually a lot smarter than we give them credit for. Um, you know, someone was saying to me today, like, oh, Bloomberg's campaign, this this meme campaign he did with all the meme accounts, uh, it, it doesn't make him look good. It, it, it doesn't. And I was like, actually, it doesn't matter how he looks. He understands, like Trump, that as long as people are talking about him, that's working. And it's, and I think it's, the same thing in in the in the Trump administration, and uh, and I think that's one of the things that she's going back for. I don't think that that the president's operation is dumb or stupid. I think you just don't agree with them. Yes, and so it's really easy for people you don't agree with to be like, "Oh, they're stupid. They're dumb. They don't know what they're talking about. They know what they're talking about. You just don't like what they're talking about." Yeah, I mean, you look at Trump's tweets and his spelling errors, and you think, "Okay," and like Kansas City, and you're like, "Oh, he's a moron." It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's not what it's about. Yes. People are not tuning into him for perfect grammar or um, mature, enlightened insights. They're they're tuning into him because they like his flavor. You and I just don't like his flavor. Yeah, completely. And I think what's been what the big realization I've had. I I barely use Twitter anymore. I I I like tweet once a month and like if that, and I don't really check it very often. And taking a taking time away from it and going back once in a while now and seeing the same fucking people tweeting the same fucking thing about the same stupid comment that he made it's like don't you guys realize that you're this is you're you're still doing exactly I mean look we're talking about him here I mean it's more that we're analyzing the 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 plan than him himself but I think it's like it's pretty disappointing you know it's funny as I spend a little bit more time in Los Angeles and I'm 3 hours behind um, I still pretty much keep East Coast hours, but like slightly behind East Coast hours. Like maybe I'll wake up at 5 a.m. in L.A., which is 8 a.m. in New York. And because Trump starts his day so early, you're still like a little a half a news cycle behind. And so when I'm catching up in the morning, uh, I'm like, this is all so fucking dumb. Mm-hmm. Like when you're in it mm-hmm. and you're of it. 
it's so easy to get caught up. The woods for the trees. And it, totally. And when you take a tiny half hour step back, you're like, this is fucking dumb. I don't care. Yeah. No, it's totally true. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? Is it bursting with energy or drained? How do you recharge it? Have you ever reflected on those questions? Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hive today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Hive. So I want to move on to uh, New Hampshire, but before we get to New Hampshire, I want to talk about Mike Bloomberg. Mm. And I went I, to his HQ in L.A. on Monday. You, I, my my mother-in-law went to his HQ uh, uh, um, this week, too. What do so, you think? So, well, I want to hear what you thought, okay. but I... Are you a, before we get there? Are you like a are you, are you a fan? Are you not a fan? Are you just like kind of still? You I'm know? Intru- I mean, I'm not a fan of anybody, but I am intrigued by the operation. Mm-hmm. So I think that there are like 80 people on his just his comms team. Wow! Like that's insane. Just doing communications for a guy who hasn't been on a ballot in a state, who basically just started running. It's wild, and that not only. Are there 80 people on the comms team? But I think between the two of us, we'd probably each know every single person. He has pulled people who everyone who works in media, they all know about and they all know and they've all worked with them in various newsrooms or at at news organizations or media companies. And so the kinds of people that he's hired because he's willing to pay a lot of money, it's fascinating to me. And I think that that's why you see him doing things like the memes and – uh, the ads that he's been putting out. I mean, he is spending such a shitload of money, but it seems to be catching on a little bit. Do you think there's a chance that he can? I mean, look. I, I don't th- know. I mean. <clears throat> look, here's, here's what I'll say. I will say that I, I think, and we'll get to, to New Hampshire. I'll, I'll say this. So what Bloomberg is doing is exactly how I think you fight Donald Trump, right? And it is... I don't care what you think of me. I just I am going to prod and throw spaghetti against every wall I see and some of it will stick and it doesn't matter. I don't care. And and I think it's it's genius. And um and when I look at Warren, right, for example, Warren what frustrates me so much about her campaign and the way it was run is that she wanted her people wanted to control the narrative. They they wouldn't go on Fox. They wouldn't go on certain podcasts. They wouldn't talk to certain journalists. It was so infuriating because she felt like, oh, well, I can control it, right? I think Sanders, like, has a different approach where he just has no fucks to give. Like, it's just the Sanders show all the time. And Part of this, yeah, I hate to say it, yeah, is the fact that Sanders is a man and Warren is a woman. And if she doesn't write her own narrative, it's going to be written for her. And it's just the but, reality of being a woman But I candidate. think I, I don't I, – I'm going to push back a little okay. bit. And I know I'm not supposed to because I'm a white man Brilliant. and I'm not supposed to have a, an opinion on Brilliant. any of these things. But I don't think that – I think in today's day and age when it comes to the media coverage of a political nominee, it does the, the strategy should not be control the narrative. The strategy should be – 
as long as they're talking about me, that's all that matters. I agree. I mean, that's what happened with Pete Buttigieg. He he took every fucking inter- interview request, every publication. There was no nothing too low, nothing too high, nothing too out there. And I think that that is why you see him as successful as he is because he just did everything. He got as many eyeballs on him as he can. And that totally worked for him. But I do think, and this is separate, I do think it is it is still in 2020 so much harder to be a female candidate. There's so much implicit and explicit sexism. And so if there was a reticence to let go of her own narrative, I think it's because women have a much harder time breaking through and just being authentically themselves. I just think that that's I, I, agree. I, I totally agree with that. I I mean, it would be what well, the, the only way to be able to really kind of see the results of this would have, would have been to see a, a woman candidate um, take the same approach that Bloomberg has taken and or Buttigieg or whatever. Well, there are very few female billionaires. That is true. You know, I was looking at the numbers recently. It is astounding how few, not only how few female billionaires, how few immigrant billionaires there are, how oh, few I... people of color who are billionaires. Well, it and is... also when you think about female billionaires, I used to write a lot about billionaires, so I yes, know this I, list very I, well. Yes. Um, there are very few self-made billionaires who are women. A lot of self-made billionaires who are men, but uh, a lot of the, I mean, there are such few female billionaires, but of the female billionaires, so few of them have made their own money and, and not inherited their money. No, it's it's astounding. I, I literally was reading about this yesterday for, for something I was working on. I, my When I saw the numbers, it, my mouth was just ajar. It's, it's, I mean, like people, immigrants who are billionaires in the U.S., it's like the, it's the, this, we could fit more people around this dinner what table. What is it, Yuri Milner? Well, and it's funny, like one of the, like a couple of them are like Rupert Murdoch is considered an immigrant because he's, he's an immigrant. <clears throat> I'm going to call yes, him an immigrant. Yes, but it's not, he's not the kind of, per, he's not the kind of person who's really kind of defending that, uh, uh, exactly. that culture. So. You know what's interesting about a female candidate who I don't think got her due and I think it's because of Joe Biden? Um, I think uh, Senator Harris mm-hmm. really – it's so fascinating to me. I think what we're seeing with with, with uh, Bloomberg right now is Biden is unviable as a candidate. I just want to interrupt one second. I called the day he announced his candidate. I said he would be the Jeb Bush of this campaign, and I was right. Let's go to Vegas, buddy. Someone, let's go. Okay. Anyway, keep going. Um, okay. So Biden is unviable. As you predicted, so rightly. Congratulations to you. I'm so so proud. <laughs> I got um, one thing right. Waking up my puppy. Um, I think what's happening with Bloomberg is people are saying, "Well, Biden's not viable. Buttigieg runs a small city. Is he ready for this job?" Which we can debate that or not. But there's room for a moderate candidate. That's why I think you saw Amy Klobuchar surge a little bit, but she has really no operation set up in any early primary state. And so I think what happened in New Hampshire is probably her peak. And so there's a lane now for Bloomberg to come in because people are like, well, who's our moderate? And Kamala Harris was discounted so early because of her record on criminal justice. Bloomberg's record on criminal justice is arguably far worse and so I think that if if the timing were different and Harris had been able to stick around and she was not, she had no money, she didn't have the ability to stick around and she had work to do in the Senate and whatever happened. But if she had stuck around, I think you this is the moment where she would have surged. I agree with you 1000%. But I also think that, again, and, it, and I, it makes sense what you're saying, she tried to control her narrative too much. She took, She's a woman. Yeah, and it makes total sense when you say it like this. But I remember like the the the... I felt like, and it was. I felt it was the same, not with just Kamala, with um, uh, what's his name from New Jersey, uh, Cory Booker. Booker. I felt like they were taking. They, were, I've spoken to them. I've spent time with those folks, and like they're incredibly smart, and they're incredibly adept at like at Twitter and all so and all these things. They understand how it all works better than most people that li- like live and work in Los Angeles and, and San Francisco and so on. But they both took this approach of. Oh, I've got to go kiss the baby and wave at the parade and this, that, and the other. And that's not that's not the way it works anymore. And I like what would have been interesting would have been to see them because I I actually think that both of them would have been probably the best candidates, quite frankly. Um, but if they would have taken the like the the no fucks to give approach, if you want to call it that. But again, as you say. 
as you a woman, you don't. You have two minorities who are a woman, who one of them, one who is a woman, a woman, and I don't think that people like that have the luxury of taking the no fucks to give approach and it sucks and it's sad and we have so much work to do in order to get there but the reality of this race and what you see playing out is as far as we have come the uh, the inability for someone like senator harris or senator booker to run the kinds of campaign that bernie sanders and joe biden and pete Buttigieg have run shows you well what what campaign has joe biden run he's run a diabolical campaign well, let's take him out of it you're right i mean it's been a true disaster but but he had the ability to run whatever campaign he wanted to true. run yes. he just wasn't able to he's yeah i mean i think that he is a perfect example of of that old politics that you know it doesn't work anymore it just yeah i also think it's it's a an extreme ego where it's like I'm going to be the savior because I am the old white man who's been around for a long time. Completely 1000% agree. And it just doesn't work anymore. And I think that he and and it and he and, and it's essentially what happened was everyone was like, "Oh yeah, you have been around as the old white man for a long time and we don't want that anymore." Which has been great. And Isn't I, it crazy then that I mean Bernie Sanders is is an old white man in the truest sense. He I don't want has... I mean, look honestly, I don't want Bernie Sanders. I don't. I, I, I know there's like all the Bernie bros that'll say I'm a, a terrible person. And like, I don't. I don't want an old white guy. Like the, the only reason that I, wa- that, that I want Bloomberg is because I actually think he's one of the few people now running that could beat Trump. And I think that like th- this has been the, 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 the problem that we've all faced. Do we want the best candidate or do we want the person who can beat tr- Trump? You know, this reminds me of what? Michael Avenatti. Well, Michael Avenatti was, you know, take a balloon, blow air into it, and you've got his ego. Like, it's like... But, I mean, as much time as I spend with him, all he would say was, I may not, when he was toying with the idea of running a presidential cane while allegedly committing so much fraud, <laughs> um, he all he would say was, I may not be the best candidate, which was the understatement of a century, but I think I'm the best person to beat Trump. But I don't think he was the best person to beat Obviously. Trump. Of course, of course. But I do think that, I think that we have to, the, this is the problem. Some, um, somebody was telling me uh, yesterday, um, the, a Bernie supporter, that, well, if it's not Bernie, I'm not going to vote. And I was like, this is the problem with the Democrats, okay? The Republicans will be like, I don't agree with the fact that you like guns or I don't really care about abortion or like, you know, I think taxes should be a little different, but I'm still voting Republican. I'm going to back every Republican candidate. I'm going down the line. Democrats are like, wait, it's not Bernie. It's not, it's not Warren. It's not this person. Like, fuck you. I'm not voting. I'm going to vote independent to like, and it's like, guys, this is the, like the wrong approach. I mean, that's what you saw with Hillary. But you, I mean, you did have some of that with Trump. Like George W. Bush didn't vote in the last presidential election. Okay. you Yes. And look at the number of senators that didn't vote to impeach him. So, you know, I mean, the, I Repu- mean, the, the, the Democrats blessing and curse is that they're principled. <clears throat> It's, right, it's, they're not. It's, it's, they're not it's a winners. Knife fight. Bring they're a knife. not winners. No, they're they not. They don't do anything to win. They, they don't. They don't win at all costs, which the Republicans do. And this is a time where people need to win at all costs. One thousand percent. And I think like it's not even a knife. It's like it's like more than a knife fight. It's like it's like a what's it's wor- a fight what's, to save our soul. Yeah, and and it's like. You've got to you got to bring some weapons to the fight. I'm sorry. You got to like. Aren't you writing a book on guns? I mean, yeah, but it's like you've got to like. It's I'm not, but you know what I'm saying. It's yeah. like it's not. It's it's more like you the principled aspect. I completely agree. One thing I will say is that I do think, and I hope, I fingers crossed, that whoever is the nominee, that that they pick a woman as a vice president, but. Who the hell knows? These people are. You know. I feel like vice president stuff, like they. Because and here's why I say that. Gener- besides Sarah Palin, they generally get it right. The vi- the vice presidents generally get it right, but I also think it's one step closer to being able to get a woman president in office. I think it's like a lot of it's perception, right? And this country. Maybe, but we had a black president, and now I feel like. But I think we will have a, we'll have another one. I I think. 
that having a black president in part gave rise to someone like Donald Trump. Yes. Yes, I completely agree. But everything is a reaction to everything. Sure. You know, Barack Obama was a reaction to Bush and Clinton and all these. It's like everything is a reaction. And the reaction, I do think, to Trump will be the opposite. But You saw it, that in the midterms. Yes. Saw, look how many women were elected it's, in the which House. Which is amazing. Incredible. Um, and, and I think that had the Democratic Party had their shit together more, I think that that's what we would be seeing right now as a woman running against him. But I just don't think they did. Well, you also have to have the the right woman at the right moment. And I don't think that as it stood, there was the right person at the right moment. Now, I think... Kamala, I think, think would have been. But it wasn't the right moment for her. I think now would be the right moment for her. And I think if Biden hadn't gotten in the race, it could be very different. Yeah. And so I, I just think these things are sort of... I think Kamala Everything. could have wiped the floor with Trump, honestly. But she, I mean, I would love to see them on a debate stage yeah. next to each other. I would have. There are a lot of women who I would love to see on a debate. I would love to see Stacey Abrams on the on a debate stage next to to President Trump. I think uh, mm-hmm. there will be a time for it, and I hope it's now, and I hope it's soon. Just in this race with the pool of candidates, it just didn't emerge. What I think, what I hope happens is that. After Super Tuesday, you start to see people seriously dropping out of the race. Yeah. And I truly hope that there is not a cage fight to the death until the conventions. Who do, that you, is, who do you, what do you think? So we've got, we've had New Hampshire. You've got Sanders, who's in the lead. You've got Buttigieg, who has, what, one or two uh, delegates more. Um, you're, you've got Nevada coming up. I don't think Nevada is going to work out as well for Sanders because the unions have been pushing back against his... Yeah, his lost a huge endorsement there. Um, his uh, policies specifically around Medicare and so on. And so maybe it works out better for Buttigieg. You know, it could be Warren gets a little bit of a comeback. We, you know, who knows? I mean, South Carolina will be very interesting. Buttigieg yep. is going to do very poorly yep. there. Um Biden could have a surge in South Carolina, so South Carolina could end up being a wash. And then Super Tuesday, I just, I just, if we're talking about Democrats actually winning, the key to them winning is to not have this drag out for months and months and months and months. There needs to be a conversation where people need to say, you know what, I'm going to drop out of this race and put my hand up for a cabinet position. Yeah. Or I'm going to do everything I can to campaign to keep the Senate. Or to flip the Senate, yep. or to keep House seats. The, those races, if I people people ask me all the time who I support, and I don't support anybody. I don't. I'm not registered in a party, so I don't vote in a primary. I don't actually vote in a presidential election. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I because do. I well, <laughs> I think I, I like st- cover politics more strictly than you do. Yeah. And so if I'm covering <clears throat> these people, I know. I don't. Look, I just I don't, feels like yes. too weird to have to. I don't want anyone to ever say to me. You're voting. You're. How could you be unbiased in your coverage? So, I am. Bi- I'm biased in my coverage. Um, I think when when people come to me, ask who I'm supporting or what they can do. What I say to them is, give your money, give your time to Senate races that are really close or House races that are really close, local races that are really close. That's going to make the biggest impact. If you think about what would have happened in the Senate. If the Democrats had four more seats, and there are four close races in the Senate, things could have been very different in the impeachment trial. The fact that that things were flipped so dramatically in 2018 in the House that allowed impeachment to go through, you want to keep that. So that's where I think, rather than throwing all your money behind a general election candidate, throw your money behind a Senate race, throw your money behind a House race, throw your money behind a local race. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Look, 2024 is going to get weird. Who decides when there's been an insurrection or not? We're still in the innovation phase of AI. And that is where you see that they're not actually being equitable and trying to build a utopia where we can all use drugs happily together. (laughs) But whatever happens this election year, the KQED politics team is in this with you. Political Breakdown. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, let's switch gears here for a second. You have been in New York for the past few weeks covering the Michael Avenatti trial. Tell us what's going on there. 
Give us the inside dirt. It's wild. So this is the first of three trials that he'll have. This is just the Nike extortion or alleged extortion. Um, and what's really interesting is uh, when he had these meetings with Nike in which he allegedly extorted them, uh, after the first meeting, Nike's attorneys caught on to the fact that they felt like they were being extorted and called the feds. So all the meetings and phone calls after it were recorded. Wow. So you're sitting there in the room hearing him. Is he in cu- like is he cuffed in, in, in like he's a not or- cuffed, but he's in custody because he was out on bail for the other thirty six counts of financial crimes and thirty six counts. Allegedly committed more financial crimes while out on bail for financial crimes, which is a real thing. Um so he's he's incarcerated. Is where are they holding him? In Manhattan in or Manhattan. got it. Um, where the place where um, Epstein yes, and El- El- was El murdered. Was I mean, sorry, uh, was uh, killed himself. That's a good slip. Yeah. Um, he's in El Chapo's old cell, held in solitary confinement. In El Chapo's old cell? That's, wow, that's the, the irony. One. It's, it's really something. Um, what's What's been fascinating, and the jury is now out for deliberation, so as we speak, they could be coming back with a verdict, and I'm very curious to see what that verdict's going to be. Um, no one's been paying attention to the trial. And... It's fascinating to me because it's in the courtroom next to where Harvey Weinstein's trial is. And you have all these paparazzi outside there. Um, I'm sorry. I'm distracted. There's a puppy's face coming <laughs> into the microphone. Um, uh, so, so you have Weinstein. You had impeachment. You had Iowa. And these are all things that Avenatti kind of was part of. And now he's behind bars. And it's, it's just a fascinating thing to me. Um, what's, what's also interesting, I, so I wrote this story last spring about Michael Avenatti. And it was, I interviewed him for hours the day after he was indicted, which I think any criminal defense lawyer would, would say, say you're insane. Yeah, yeah don't but do he that. He sat with me anyway. And I wrote a story that he was very unhappy with to the point where for six months he publicly and privately attacked me about it, which is a lot of fun. And I went to the court on the first day, and he's in the first day he was in a jumpsuit and um, like laceless shoes and really looked like a prisoner. And then once the trial started, uh, he's wearing a suit. I think he's wearing the same shirt every day, hmm. but a different tie. Um, and for the first time, he could see me. And there aren't very many reporters covering this trial, and there certainly aren't any supporters of his. And a couple of people from the U.S. Attorney's Office are in there, but it's a, it's a very it's a pretty empty room, mm. especially given what you would thought the attention would have been on him a year ago. Yeah. Uh, people thought he was going to be in Iowa. So it's it's fascinating fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but he turned around almost every day that I was in the courtroom and looked at me, crossed his arms and shook his head. Really? Like a... Very menacing seeming. But the Jeez. first time it happened, I laughed. It was just like a, a total gut reaction. Yeah. Because this guy has two armed guards following him. He's in solitary confinement, and I'm the one that deserves to have their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone's head shaked at them, shaking at them. So, um, has he? Does he still do that? Every time I'm in court. Every time. And do you smile or wave? I or just, just stare. And have you gotten any like feedback? Of, like, what's what I find so fascinating about these cases is that. These are people, and it's it's all these men, right? That like have have had, have been in power and ha- have abused it, and they've gone and they've lived this life where it's like a lavish life, like private jets and first class and race like cars, race and cars, watches, and this and that and the other, and, and then yeah, and then they're like in a hole in a cell, like, and I can only imagine it is way worse for their little fragile egos than the people who grow up who are poor and are forced to do crimes for their families and so on and so forth and and end up in a cell and like have you gotten any like impression or feedback about like what's going on with him in there no because he's in solitary confinement so and and there is i would say well i was going to say there's a zero percent chance he would talk to me but i actually think that there's a a fairly high likelihood (laughs) that he would talk to me uh if i were able to talk to him which i'm not um the thing about him is he is such a textbook narcissist and it was all about being talked about. And I think 
a very likely fate where he will get prison time and serious prison time. Who knows? A jury is unpredictable, but it feels like that's where this is headed. I almost feel like the fact that no one's talking about his trial, Mm, maybe a fate worse worse than prison for someone like Michael Avenatti. And that's what's been interesting. As someone who, from the second he stepped on the national stage in 2018, uh, I started talking to him immediately and and covered him all throughout his reign uh, and downfall. I can't imagine something worse than no one talking about him. Just the part I don't understand is like if that were me, right? I've committed thirty six, you know, cases of financial fraud. I've, I've, you know, and I'm out. Like I would try to get out of here. Like I would be like, I'm gonna go to jail for a long, long time. Like let me go down to like Mexico, get some plastic surgery, go live in a, pi- he had a to pineapple tree. His passport. S- swim. So what he was allegedly doing was hiding his assets mm. when he was out on bail. So he had, you know, he had a ton of debt and a ton of creditors after that debt. And so what he was allegedly doing according to his um, arrest, his most recent arrest application or, or arrest warrant application was he would be taking out gigantic sums of money in cashier's checks from his account and then depositing it if he needed to pay someone and then taking it out in cashier's checks. So there's no money in his bank account for months at a time mm. so that no one could collect debt yeah. from him. Yeah. So in some ways he was sort of like setting up a life for if he were to get time, he wanted to be able to have financial resources, but that's in and of itself. If there were no other crimes committed and he was just doing that, would be a crime punishable by prison. You are listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. So wild. Well, what's interesting, and this segues into something else that was happening this week, is um, Michael Avenatti would often say before he was arrested this most recent time that he was a victim of Trump's Justice Department, that he went after the president. And so the charges that were brought against him were a result of the fact that the president had ordered charges to be brought against him. Now, we've seen this week more than ever, I mean, I think we've seen over the past three years that this is the case, but this week more than ever, we saw that the the Trump Justice Department is very much controlled yeah. by the president and not by the rule of law. We saw four career prosecutors resign from a case after they had given sentencing guidelines in the Roger Stone uh, case, saying that this guy deserves seven to nine years in prison. Then the Justice Department basically overruled that and said, no, 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 no. Here are our new sentencing guidelines after the president said these sentencing guidelines are unfair. Um it, it they is, changed it twice. Didn't they go from like three to four years to zero years? It's, it's like, and, and and I think that the president, from from people who I've been talking to, have made it clear to people around Stone that regardless, there would potentially be a pardon down the road or commutation. Um, what I think is, I think it's so apparent that there is. Um, malfeasance in our justice department and that of, of all things yes. that have happened under the president that's a scary thing like the rule of law is what makes america america that's what makes democracy a democracy so do you think that avenatti look no you don't okay I, i'll tell you why perhaps perhaps him being held in solitary confinement or perhaps uh they there was a, an impetus to start looking into him because of his outsized persona on cable news for so long. He was committing real crimes and not just financial crimes that benefited himself. Like Michael Cohen had committed financial crimes and was sentenced to three years in prison. Those financial crimes were tax evasion and, and lying to a bank. And those are financial crimes, but those only benefit himself really. And, and the people who are hurt by that are financial institutions. So no one, no one really feels bad for, (laughs) especially for the little amount of money he took. Yeah. Yeah. Or um, Uncle Sam, or when Uncle Sam could have just fined him. Yep. Um, <clears throat> Michael Avenatti was allegedly stealing from some of his most vulnerable cl- clients yep. for money that they needed to make down payments on their house to pay for very expensive health care. He was allegedly with disabilities. yes, a paraplegic client of his. Um, and stealing to buy private jets to stay in fancy hotels to go on lavish vacations to buy a watch collection, the sum of which would blow your mind. He was w- what is, I think, one of the more 
brazen things to me. What everything else that that I just said, I think is horrible if it is true, and a jury will find out if or, or decide if it is in fact true. But that he was starting the idea of of running for president while on cable news every day, uh, purportedly representing his client Stormy Daniels, and he allegedly stole her book advance while he was doing that. And I don't think that prosecuting someone who's doing all of those things is a miscarriage of justice. Oh, I think I that's exactly agree. what the Justice Department is supposed to be doing. I completely 1,000% agree. And I also think that the reason that no one except for Michael Avenatti is saying that is because he seems like a fucking monster. And he and the things that he has done are – you can look at like – you know, the Roger Stone case, and you can see that these prosecutors quit because they believed in the rule of law. There's no prosecutors going, I don't know if Avenatti should be tried this way or this, that, and the other. I spoke to a a former prosecutor who was at the highest level of, of, of uh, one of the highest levels of the Justice Department over the weekend. And I was speaking to him about this case, about a number of things, but about the Avenatti case. And this person said something to the effect of, if I were prosecuting this case, I would feel like I had a slam dunk. Mm. Yeah. That sounds- and this is someone who is now out of the Justice Department, but I think if he had been on this, one of the prosecutors on the Stone case, he would have resigned. This is someone who deeply believes in, in the rule of law and, and justice. Last couple of questions for you, and then we will let you get back to your little puppy. Um, <clears throat> the cute little puppy. Barbara Walters is her name. It's You called the puppy Barbara Walters? Yeah. That I did not expect, but it now all comes together and makes sense. Mm-hmm. Question is, do you think that – and I've asked this question to folks before on the show. But what is so fascinating to me – with the current way that the government is working, and I use the word working as not in the correct way, but um, is that you have this president who is doing whatever he wants. You have this system that is set up that is more akin to Russia than it is to America, where, you know, if you're friends, you get X. If you're not, you get Y. Um, and you have a Senate that largely, with the exception of one person, um, is w- is willing to do anything for the president, right? Do you think that there's any repercussions that will ever come from any of this stuff? I mean, do you, is, there, is there... The way to have a consequence here is at the ballot box in November. But, I think we have but given we say up that. the check. I think we've given this. Uh, what just happened with the impeachment trial has has given up the check, and the president now has a blank check to do whatever he wants with. I completely agree. And so the the only thing we have left is showing up in November. That's it. That's it. And so if you're disturbed by what happened, what has happened over the last three years, particularly what has happened over the last few months then go vote in November. And not only you go vote in November, but tell your parents to go vote, your kids to go vote, your siblings, your coworkers. Get your neighbors, drive your neighbors to the polls. Help register people to vote. Knock on doors, canvas, work at the polling stations. Do whatever you can to cast your vote. Now, if you want to go and cast your vote for the president, this is America. Don't be you listening to the right. podcast if you're going to do that. Probably not. If you want to cast your vote for whoever the nominee is going to be, do whatever you can to show up for yourself, to get everyone around you to show up, and that will be the greatest check on this president. And I'm going to add something to that. Vote for the Democrat. If you're going to vote, don't vote. Don't not vote to like spite yourself because four more years of this I think will be – uh, disastrous. That's honestly. not standing on principle. That's standing to lose. What is? Oh yes, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, it's it's yeah. There's no principle in that. It's it, w- what point are you proving? None. It's it, it's so infuriating. When that's people, not the way to win here. No. So, bring a knife to the knife fight. Last question for you and Barbara Walters. 
I know that this is a question you don't want to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh-oh. Who do you think will end up being the nominee? Based on what you've seen happen in the last couple of weeks, based on just pie in the sky guess here. You know, I'm not, I don't want to be annoying. And it's not that I don't want to answer it. I I'm genuinely not let don't you be know. On this po- I'm not going to let you leave the podcast until you give us an answer. I'm going to leave the microphone running can for I give the next you two. A few options? <laughs> yeah, you can do a few I'm options. I'm going to give you three choices. All I right, great. Number one. I here's. I'm going to give you who I think the two. I think I'm going to give you two. Okay, two. I think okay. you're going to have two. I could do Sanders could do or Bloomberg, and that's in this very moment. Okay. I don't think I'm going to be right. I'm just telling you what I think right <clears throat> that's now. That's who he feels right right now, Sanders sure. or Bloomberg. I I can see Bloomberg that. just has so much moolah. Here's the qu- the part I don't understand though is at what point does Bloomberg actually start to win a state or two like well he's where- on the ballot super tuesday so that'd be the first electoral issue but what's it, what's happening and i'm working on a story about this now so i'm not gonna give it away but there are very interesting people who are out stumping for him and for me and i think for you like the characters around him are super interesting and who knows could they help him tbd read us to find out <laughs> <laughs> Emily Jane Fox and Barbara Walters, thank you so Perhaps much you to add? for joining right. us today. As always, this has been a fantastic conversation, and I look forward to more in the future. Can't wait. This is the best. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on applepodcastradio.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thank you, of course, to my sponsors, Lightstream, Berkeley, and Sleep Number. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. I will see you all next week. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden starting March 19th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts.